we are a, a, a seaport, which means that if you uh, sail out, you pass the border, and that uh, brings several uh, smuggling types. They handle such high volumes. As I said, of the 100 million containers passing through, only approximately between 2 to 10% of all the containers that enter these specific EU ports can be checked. So they are very adaptive, very resilient, and they could easily adapt their modus operandi. They also have a lot of financial means, and they do not have to follow rules or laws, etc. Welcome to the Europol podcast, the official podcast of the EU Agency for Law Enforcement Cooperation. In this series, we shine a light on some of the biggest cases Europol has supported and how we continue to fight crime. Today's episode, Sinking Drug Shipments. When it comes to organised crime groups trafficking drugs into Europe, Europol's work focuses on cross-border cooperation that will shut down their operations. Working with police, academics, private companies and other partners, we can actually identify how drugs come into Europe and devise ways to take down trafficking networks. In today's episode, we will look at one of the main ways drugs come into the European Union via our maritime ports. So firstly, how big is the problem of drugs in EU ports? We do write extensive reports that try to answer this question. And last year, for example, we published a joint report on the European drug market of cocaine and one on methamphetamine. What we can already say is that it is very clear that the trade in illegal drugs continues to dominate the landscape of serious and organized crime in the EU. That's Barbara, who works here at Europol. My name is Barbara Silis. I'm the head of the strategic analysis team here at Europol. Europol's strategic analysis team works on current and emerging trends in serious crime and terrorism landscapes. Their work informs decision makers, law enforcement authorities and other parties about what crime areas we need to prioritise and what resources and partners are needed to make it happen. When we, for example, analyse the activities of criminal networks, that are active in serious and organized crime in the EU, we saw that almost 40% of those uh, networks are active in drug trafficking specifically. So that includes cocaine, cannabis, synthetic drugs and new psychoactive substances and or heroin. And of those drugs Barbara mentioned, one area that stands out is cocaine. One of the key findings of our analytical reports on uh, cocaine is that the cocaine market is really ever expanding. The trafficking activity is very intensive and uh, it involves many different criminal actors. The production in South America is very high. What we can say based on provisional data is that cocaine seizures are ever increasing and uh, are reaching uh, on average per year around 300 tonnes. But these are, of course, uh, conservative estimates. Within this context, ports are a key entry point for cocaine and other types of drugs into the EU. So why ports? What is it that makes them so appealing as an entry point for illicit shipments? So ports, they are part of a global infrastructure. They handle such high volumes of the 100 million containers passing through. Not everyone can be physically inspected. We learned that only approximately between 2 to 10% of all the containers that enter the EU ports 
uh, or these specific EU ports can be checked by law enforcement services. Another factor is that, of course, these ports are huge. They operate almost like a city and there's a lot of people working there. There's many public and private actors that come there, that work there on a daily basis. So for all these reasons, shipping cocaine to the EU's ports is a popular modus operandi for criminal networks. When we look at how the criminals do it, there are numerous methods on offer. For example, they can hide illicit goods in the ship itself, either in a container on the ship or with drugs attached to the outside of the ship so that a small boat or diver can just grab the shipment at sea. And this goes for any type of vessel that can arrive in a port, sailing boats, yachts, cruise ships, tankers, cargo vessels, even submarines and fishing boats. But the typical hiding place is inside the shipping containers themselves. So one of the main modi operandi is what we call the rip-on, rip-off method, which is uh, just about hiding the drugs uh, between legitimate goods in the container, uh, easily accessible. Rip-on, rip-off is a method that involves drug traffickers having people working for them inside the port. A group of criminals, known as an extraction team, enters the port and retrieves the drugs from inside a container before the container heads to its intended final destination with its legitimate cargo. A variation of this is called the switch. Instead of taking the drugs out at the port themselves, the extraction team moves the drugs to a container they know has a low risk of being checked. That way, the container leaves the port without the authorities spotting the drugs and the traffickers pick up their consignment outside the port. Another variation of this is cloning. When they learn that the container full of drugs is meant to be scanned, the traffickers deploy a second container with a cloned registration. Then that container gets scanned instead, and the container with the drugs passes by undetected. Common to all these methods is that they require the help of people in the ports. You need someone there who can get in and out of the container. You need crane operators and other port workers on the inside to get containers to where they can be accessed and facilitate the trafficking. That's a lot of people to get in line. However, the maritime ports of today are massive, kitted out with a range of new technology and tools that can spot illicit cargo and hamper extraction teams. Criminals are shifting their methods in response. To find out what's happening on the ground, we went to Rotterdam Port to learn more. Jan Janser is the head of the Seaport Police of Rotterdam, the police force that is responsible for all types of serious and organised crime in the port of Rotterdam. My name is Jan Janser and I'm the commanding officer of the Seaport Police in Rotterdam. This is a unique police force as it is solely responsible for the port area, which is like a city of its own in terms of scale. They have patrol boats for basic policing in the port, border patrol at the nautical border that lies within the port, and a detective squad who handle the major investigations. 15 million containers go through the port of Rotterdam every year, and hidden amongst them is the cargo of criminals. 100% of the containers get checked automatically, and 3% of those end up being flagged as potentially suspicious. Those go for further checking. When we think back to the trafficking methods that we heard about earlier in the episode, they rely heavily on corruption. So Jan and his team are working hard to crack down on opportunities for corruption. Without corruption, no smuggling. 
it is impossible to get drugs in without somebody, without corrupting somebody. But how do criminals get this corruption off the ground? People know that the drug trade is dangerous and they should avoid working with organised crime unless they want to risk jail time or worse. So the first thing is finding the target for corruption. And what makes a staff member a target? Well, it tends to be the ones who have the key responsibilities. For example, you're the person who knows several days in advance when ships are coming into the port and what containers are coming off that ship. Or maybe you have other responsibilities in the port, with knowledge of the containers leaving the terminal or of which containers will be scanned. This is exactly the type of knowledge that drug traffickers need for their operations. So if a shipping company allows her staff to know and do all this, actually you just put somebody in the window and say, corrupt this employee because he's going to be very important for you. Safeguarding against corruption and bribery is key. Criminal organizations have deep pockets. The bribes can be extremely large. Jan gave us one example while we were at the port. We arrested the corrupted shipping agent. We found 9 million euros cash in his house, which meant that he had put in a lot of criminal container loads containing drugs for several criminal organizations. Important to note that Jan said organizations there. That's a plural. He said it because the same corrupted individual, the same avenue for trafficking, can be abused by multiple criminal groups at the same time. And in response, Jan and his team have changed their tactics. Rather than going after individual drug shipments, they're going after these avenues of corruption. He calls this the bottleneck approach. The bottleneck strategy came into being after Jan observed that a large amount of his drug seizures were happening at two particular warehouses. Well, I can give you an example of one of the first companies um, uh, that we tried our, our, the bottleneck strategy on. This was a, a small fruit company in one of the older parts of the port. And within nine months, we discovered that they had 68 incidents concerning smuggling of drugs. This was a company where only 100 people were working. So we went to talk to them together with the harbour master and together with the head of customs. And we told this company, the directors, you are the biggest drug smuggler in the Netherlands for the moment. And of course, that gave a bit of a shock. The first reaction was, listen, that's your problem. But within the month uh, and, and, and the second or the third conversation we had, they understood that they also had a responsibility. And then we started working together and taking measures. This uh, fruit terminal was situated on a pier and the pier was uh, uh, just public streets. Everybody could get there. So the municipality said, we are going to close down this pier. Nobody is allowed to enter the pier anymore. They uh, put their warehouse full with cameras, silent alarms, and they stopped uh, receiving ships at their own key. They let the, the, the fruit come in through the major and then they started looking at their own staff. This is the bottleneck tightening. The changes Jan described meant the port area had fewer people going in and out. At the same time, the company asked its people for a police statement to show that they hadn't been involved with organized crime in the past. And the director asked my staff, I want you to ask for this statement. And if you give me the statement, you will have a contract. And if you don't give me the statement, you will be sacked which meant that 90% of his staff did not go on on this company. A full 90% of the staff in this fruit company decided to resign rather than expose their police records to their employer. 
the bottleneck was tightening further. Then he got a new staff and he trained the staff for over a week. And within two or three weeks after the new staff was being brought in, they arrested themselves, one of the drug smugglers that addressed them outside of the office and asked him, listen, I, I see at your jacket that you work at this company. Could you help me getting a drug load in? And you, and you will be, of course, awarded in a, in a very fine way. And they arrested him themselves. So, after some help from Jan's team, a company had gone from being a conduit to drug traffickers to arresting them. And Jan's team are always looking for the next opportunities that criminals exploit, a long waiting game. In a case that I would like to mention, and I would like to mention it because it is about you can't fight international container smuggling on yourself. Over three years ago, we did a kind of a pilot together with Customs, which meant that one of the biggest container terminals in port, we've put people there for three months, 24-7. Three of our officers, three customs officers, every shift. And we asked them just to safeguard a certain part of this terminal in which we knew most of the risk for containers were being placed. So we put a container sensor at the gate and we had license plate sensors as well. So all of these things were going on at the same time. We did this for three months. We discovered a completely new way of working. We saw the first Trojan horse coming in. A Trojan horse is a container that is being used by drug criminals to enter the terminal. Because of us being there 24-7, they couldn't get in the terminal anymore. They just ordered uh, an empty container, put six up to ten people in this container. can be that they stay in the Trojan horse, but most of the time they step over to another container, which we call a hotel container. They stay up to 72 hours in this container. Why? Because if they put a Trojan horse onto the terminal, you have to also make a kind of administration. So you have to give the container a destination and you have to give it a, a, a content. Uh, and that means that the computer can say, we lift it up and put it on a ship, which happened three weeks ago. And then they called us from the ship, please get us out. So they uh, changed to a hotel container, which in the computer is... is destined to move in three or four or five days. So the bottleneck forced the criminals to move into the terminal via the Trojan horse container to their hotel container. And they waited there for days on end. These hotel containers are kitted out for the stay. The Rotterdam Seaport Police have recovered blankets, external batteries, stoves and other similar items from hotel containers. Then they have the source container, which is a container in which the drugs is being bought in Rotterdam. And you need the switch container. That's the container that is already being freed for customs control in which you want to put the drugs and get them out easily. So it's uh, uh, a lot of containers being involved, a lot of corruption needed to know which container you, you have to use. And this kind of outcome is exactly what Jan and the Rotterdam Seaport Police want. With the method understood, they can close down the loopholes and vulnerabilities that make it possible. By sharing information through Europol, other port authorities and police forces learn of the method too. The criminals then have to wait and see if a fresh opportunity comes up or look elsewhere. So on the ground, we see lots of action. What has this taught us about the drug trafficking world? And how does this translate into decisions at the top? We especially see the seaports of Antwerp, Rotterdam, Hamburg, Valencia, um, that they are misused. So cocaine trafficking is, um, you could say, inextricably linked to maritime container trafficking. 
This is Professor Charlotte Coleman from Ghent University in Belgium. I'm Charlotte Coleman. I'm a professor of drug policy and criminology at Ghent University. Charlotte's research looks deeper at the drug policies and methods police and customs are using in the various parts of Europe. She has a unique insight into the challenges the ports face in screening for drugs. There are several challenges. Maybe first of all, you have to, you need to have a balance between enforcement and the economic principle. So let me explain this in a very, very, very simple way. So you cannot open every container coming from Latin American countries and entering your port. Uh, this is impossible and just economically. For example, cocaine is often found in refrigerated containers full of fruit. When you open this container, the fruit begins to ripen. So you cannot do this with each container that you think it could be a risk. Um, second, um, I would say that especially corruption is also quite a challenge nowadays. But let's say a corrupt individual is arrested or an avenue for corruption is shut down. Does this end the trafficking operation? So um, you are referring to the waterbed effect and this is indeed a possibility. So if you push down a phenomenon at one place, it could pop up elsewhere. So it might cause a displacement effect. This waterbed effect is particularly true for the areas that Charlotte focuses on, the ports of Rotterdam and Antwerp. They're both very large and interconnected. So we interviewed several people that were convicted for drug trafficking and they told us that they used the ports of Antwerp and Rotterdam interchangeably, which means that depending on the opportunities that are present in one of these ports, for example, a corrupt straddler chauffeur or someone who hacked a port database, or someone available to pick up the cocaine that they that they choose for one of these ports. And this is not surprising as well, because the ports are also less than 120 kilometers apart from each other. So you see, you should monitor indeed for that waterbed effect. This goes to show just how adaptable and well-resourced the trafficking networks are. Opportunities arise in various points at various times, and the criminal groups move quickly to exploit them. However, this competition for control of trafficking routes and access to ports can have a dramatic effect on the communities that live nearby. In financial terms, and there is a lot of competition involved as well between several criminal networks who would like to be included in the supply. And as such, violence is like an indispensable part of drug supply. For example, the cocaine market in Belgium, we saw last summer that, uh, or we noticed an increase in drug-related violent acts uh, on the streets of Antwerp. And there have been several hypotheses to explain this increase in acts of violence. First of all, it could be intimidation. It could be um, retaliation. Another possible explanation for the rise in violence in Antwerp was because police had successfully arrested some of the main actors in the trafficking networks. And as such, um, a role became available for new members and new members should step in to take up that particular available spot. So this kind of thing is, of course, always accompanied by violence until the spot is filled in again. So the violence spreads into the local community and this harms many innocent bystanders with no connection to the ports or the drug trade. However, violence attracts law enforcement attention, and so major displays of violence could in fact also serve as public intimidation by the traffickers. So what of the violence we don't see? This has been uncovered through the discovery of a particularly sinister modern phenomena. We've heard of the Trojan horse container, 
and the hotel container. Another one used by criminals is called a torture container. We also see the phenomenon of uh, torture containers. And you know that people could get hurt, that violence is used at several levels of the supply chain. A torture container is a shipping container with soundproofed walls, a dentist's chair and a range of hand tools. It is exactly as terrifying as it sounds. Europol uncovered these containers as part of our investigation into Sky ECC, the criminal encrypted communication service that was taken down in a major global investigation in 2021. So drug trafficking groups pose a major threat. Nothing is off the table for them in terms of violence, intimidation and corruption. But what does Charlotte think can be done? So it means you have to set up barriers in the logistics chain, for example, more security checks and systems, more public-private corporations, more financial investigations, anti-corruption strategies, sensibilization towards possible facilitators, but also prevention towards youngsters who might get seduced to get involved or recruited by a criminal organization to act as, for example, a drug courier or a drug dealer. One thing that Barbara, Jan and Charlotte all agree on is that the incentive for traffickers to do what they do is clear. It's the money. So we should invest more in financial investigations. Of course, you can recruit experts, but it takes some time until these experts are delivering results. And you can't expect that if you tomorrow you hire financial experts, that the day after tomorrow you get results. So it is a long-term investment, um, but we are all aware that we should invest more in financial investigations. So I'm quite, I'm, I'm quite confident that we will get there. And this isn't something that one agency or organization can handle alone. It's about working together. We heard earlier how Jan worked with a company in the port to get results, and Europol acts as the hub for police cooperation and information sharing. As well as the analysis that Barbara's team provides, Europol supports big cross-border investigations with things like secure information exchange, operational coordination and support, and by dispatching agents on the ground during action days. So what other actors have a role to play? I think we should focus on some central ingredients for a possible successful approach. And one of these ingredients is, for example, the integral cooperation between police, justice, customs, local actors, private partners where needed. So maybe focusing on that public-private cooperation. The second ingredient is, we have been talking about it, like the financial investigations increase. A third ingredient could be the fact that you need, of course, international cooperation. International cooperation to match the international nature of drug trafficking is what we specialise in here at Europol. Barbara and the strategic analysis team at Europol HQ are at the forefront of that, uncovering new criminal techniques through their work. What we've seen now in recent years and what we've worked on on this joint report with the ports of uh, Rotterdam, Antwerp and Hamburg, Bremerhaven, is that a new modus operandi has emerged in recent times and that is specifically a modus operandi that requires much less physical presence in the port area and that relies more on uh, corruption, uh, corruption in order to obtain information. It involves obtaining container reference codes, and these are also known as PIN codes. The holder of this code is considered to be the owner of the container, 
And so when the driver presents this code to the gate, he can simply drive out of the port with this container and with also the illicit goods inside or the drugs inside. The container reference code is a unique identifier assigned to a maritime shipping container by the shipping company when they get paid. The code is used at the other end by the driver at the port to confirm it's their container and that's it. The illicit cargo is out the port. No need for an extraction team to hide inside the port and the criminals in charge can control the process from afar. So this is actually a simple and attractive modus operandi because all that is needed is on the one hand, one corrupted employee that can provide this reference code. And on the other hand, one truck driver that works for a corrupted transporter and that drives um, the container outside of the port by presenting this code. In the past years, this modus operandi has resulted in more than 200 tons of uh, drugs being extracted from these three ports that we have worked together with for this analysis. When we make these findings, they're shared across our network, ensuring there is actionable intelligence for EU member states and our partners to work with. This is how Europol ensures that national police are all given the best insights to work with as they plan their operations. And in this context, if I can summarize it in one element, it would be an EU-wide approach. We see that cooperation is essential and also International information exchange is essential. So timely information exchange between EU member states and with Europol is really one of the of such an EU-wide approach. What such an EU-wide approach also entails is a common approach to port security and a closer cooperation with private partners. Partnerships between public sector, between law enforcement and the private actors that are involved in the activities in the ports are essential. And our partnership with member state police forces, like those in Rotterdam and Jan's team, makes a difference for police forces across Europe. Europol helps us in this cooperation to get a good view in how often this happens in the port of Rotterdam and how often this happens in the port of Antwerp and Hamburg, how it works exactly and how other ports could start recognizing this way of working. And they made a very good analysis report, which was published, I think, three months ago and sent all over the world. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Europol podcast. Please rate and review the show and subscribe on whatever app you're using to tune in. You can also contact us via the Europol website if you have questions or comments. We'd love to hear what you think of the show.